0: let's hit it. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially our next incredible guest. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. All right, let's rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this much-anticipated episode of the Sports Deli podcast. Val Whiting, two-time national champion at Stanford, former ABL and WNBA star, mental health advocate, influencer, and host of Stay Fierce, a podcast that explores the potential in all of us and the obstacles that sometimes obscures our paths, and I will bring you a Scott and Report today like no other in the history of the Sports Deli. With that being said, on this final day of Black History Month and on Michael Jordan's University of North Carolina's Hall of Fame coach Dean Smith's birthday, we welcome the incredible, inspiring, and courageous Firestarter and Navy Brat, coach, author, mental health leader, speaker, cancer survivor, and Virago Joanne P. McCauley, Coach P for Life. Later in today's rapid fire, you will find out the rest of the story as to why I mentioned Dean Smith in today's intro. When Coach was born, gas was 30 cents a gallon, and when she was 10 years old, Chris Evert won her first of six U.S. Open singles titles. She was born the same year as Dr. Dre, who was part of this year's famous and historical Super Bowl halftime show, along with Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, and Kendrick Lamar. In high school, besides being named to the Parade All-American team, which it should be noted, she was named number 40 out of the 40 chosen, which slightly irritated her. And if that wasn't enough, they spelled her name wrong. But she got over it pretty quickly and was very honored for this recognition. She chose to play her college ball at Northwestern in the Big Ten, heavily influenced by her incredibly sound-thinking British mother. Her amazing, late, and influential father was often deployed while she was growing up We both had a truth teller named Renee in our lives that impacted us profoundly. She loves dogs, Carol Burnett, the late Betty White, and swimming. And she once shadowed Nick Saban at Alabama for a day. She's coached for USA Basketball and was a part of two gold medals. She won a ring while doing commentary work for the then Detroit Shock. She got her first tattoo at age 53, Val and believes that people should be over 50 before they are allowed to get a tattoo. She's joking about that, of course, sort of. She once carried the Winter Olympics torch. She drove a Cranberry Volvo growing up. She doesn't like cold weather. She's got an MBA, and she met her quiet, unassuming husband, a phenomenal listener, John, who we just saw a minute ago, at Auburn, and they married on his birthday, August 18th, 1991, so that he would never miss and anniversary. And in 28 years of being a head coach, she only had two losing seasons, both during year one of her first two stints at Maine and Michigan State, respectively. A true virago in every sense of the word, she can now add incredible author who recently wrote and narrated The Secret Warrior, one of the most impactful and moving books I've ever read, that I easily finished in a day and a half, about her journey of living with her newfound superpower bipolar disorder, which she was diagnosed with when she was 30. She shared her powerfully courageous story around the world, including with one of my favorite people in the entire world, another warrior herself, Robin Roberts of Good Morning America. She believes in stories over stigma when it comes to mental health. She believes in faith over fear. And you can find her on LinkedIn and on Twitter and Instagram at coach P for life. And that's the letter P and the number four and coach, uh, for Val and I, a incredibly warm welcome, truly honored that you're here with us today in the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially Coach P.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And it's great to see you and Val. Um, that's quite an introduction. That's the, most, that's the best introduction I've ever had. And I've been on at least a million uh, of these podcasts. Um, so I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, we pride ourselves on a lot of things, and Vale's added so much to the show. Um, and so I'm always honored when when she's here to join us. And uh, thank you for the kind words. Um, but I'm I'm curious. You know, there's so much to unpack, and I know you've just said that you've talked about a lot of things many times before, but some of this is relatively new in the last couple of years since the book came out. Um, But let's rewind to your childhood. And, you know, you had a coach that used to illegally open the gym for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that sort of changed a part of the course of your life forever. And a lot of people like Jay Billis, who came on the show, said he had a terrible experience with his high school coach, even to the point where his wife during a a high school reunion said that she thought that he's scarred for life because of that experience. Mm. And so, you know, you were able to go in a different direction because of the impact of your coaches and your softball coach as well. But talk, talk about your upbringing and, and the impact of those two coaches.
1: Yeah, I really was fortunate, starting with my junior high coach, who also opened doors, uh, the late Alan Grafham. And then my first coach, Kay Fred Kerber. That's right. Uh, yep, he uh, was very good at just doing what was right and supporting kids, and supporting us to be better. Um, So I was very, very fortunate. My softball coach, he um, talked me into playing softball so that I would balance my life a little bit. And I thought that was a great instinct that he had um, a long time ago when people weren't talking about those things, about overdoing um, burnout, balancing, and that kind of thing. So I had a a lot of support and smart people around me and that helped me a great deal.
0: Yeah, I find that fascinating, especially with people our age, because me and Val are in similar ages, you know, especially as we're approaching, you know, the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year on June 23rd. And to, to feel supported as a young girl back then is just amazing that someone had the, the foresight and the courage, really, to uh, put, put a young girl at the forefront and, you know, girls basketball, really, for that matter.
1: Yeah, and we outdrew the guys, you know, we got pretty good. And so we outdrew the guys. And I know Val understands that kind of thing that was happening. This is prior to Title IX, but I consider myself a Title IX baby relative to the opportunities that were created by pioneering women who really were without, you know, you go back to the Pet Summit stories of driving the bus and and those types of things, and um, I was I benefited from that tremendously as I was coming out in 1983, and so lots of support, lots of funding. Um, we still did bus everywhere at Northwestern. There weren't any charter flights right. or anything like that, but uh, but things had come a long way by then.
0: Yeah, I mean the pioneers Sue Gunner. I mean there's so many that mm-hmm. that we could talk about um, that the legends of the ball have come on this show and talked about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember a story that uh, Stacy told me. She's an assistant at Kansas State now for Coach Mitty. And -hmm. she worked for Heidi at UCSD. Mm -hmm. And she said, every time they went on a road trip, this is Heidi Vanderveer, right? Coaching the WNBA, Tara's sister. She'd be doing laundry. And Stacy would be going in there like, coach, what are you doing laundry for? And it was just the way that it was back then when, you know, these pioneers got started and they, they weren't better than anyone, they would do whatever it took. And uh, just hearing stories like that and what you're talking about is just just amazing and, and how far we've come.
1: Yeah. And also their willingness to support people coming behind them. I mean, on my references for the main job, when I was 26 years old, you had Pat Summit and Sue Gunter. And I'm thinking, who's not going to hire me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, With that kind of exposure, and that goes back to the SEC exposure that I had, you know, it just was incredible uh, back in the day and, and coaching against Sue and, and hiring one of Sue's, uh, I guess, uh, top managers, Lamar Boutwell, the late Lamar Boutwell, he came with me to coach at uh, Maine. And so to keep it in the family and to have women that really were looking out for other women so that I could be a coach at a very young age.
0: Yeah, age 26. Val, you jump in whenever you feel like you you know, have a question or something to follow up with. And you mentioned Auburn, and Auntie Chantel was on the show. And <laughs> she, she now works for Nike and does a lot of things, like Val does, on TikTok. Uh, but you said something in the book about how her response to you when you were a first-year coach, which you and I both started coaching the first for the first time in 1992 and 1993. Uh, that's about where the uh, similarities end. But, but she, she was very impactful along with someone else at Auburn. Can you talk about how important it is when young coaches are getting into the game to not only be their authentic selves, right? As your boss at the time encouraged and demanded, but going forward, you mentoring young young coaches as well in the same manner. Yeah, Shani was
1: special. You know, she was as a player back in the day. She is now as a powerful woman. And, you know, coaching her was a challenge because she always was going to question. So you always had to give her exactly the clear answer and then more, actually, in terms of doing things. So uh, she was a challenge to coach and was perfect for me uh, in my first couple of years. And it was amazing to see her lead us to a Final Four because we had lost Ruthie at graduation, and, and there really was a doubt whether she could get it done. And so I loved, I loved coaching both Ruthie and, and Shani, just being a point guard coach, obviously not as significant as the head coach and others, but just kind of playing my role and loving them and the way they treated me. And, you know, I, I don't know, it just was a special connection. And it was really kind of funny. Uh, Shani is from Pennsylvania, Ruthie from Mississippi, and me being from Maine, like it was an unlikely trio and um, it was a lot of fun. And actually I credit Shani for um, getting me in coaching and making me believe I could be a coach and also recognizing that it was a, you know it was a 24 seven kind of, uh, you know, quality of life issue that you choose in coaching and a way of life rather than a, a job per se. And I really got into that with that experience of coaching her.
0: Yeah, that was a culture shock for you.
1: It was. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that was one of your reservations, right? You know, <laughs> but you stayed immersed in your work and and as as they, as they say the rest is history.
1: Yeah, and I am um, I took the job sight unseen. I was afraid to go down to Auburn, Alabama, um, as a northeastern person <laughs> with, with a British mom, you know, who was <laughs> right. It was not supportive you know, she's like, bad people are in the South, you know, to her, to, to her, everybody was bad in the South, everybody. I mean, it's just, you know, she just thought that it was a terrible place. And, you know, she looked at her history a certain way. And, um, you know, obviously, I fell in love with Auburn, and love my time there uh, so much.
0: Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, your mom was very influential of you going to Northwestern because of, you know, a variety of reasons, but they supported women in the big 10 and at Northwestern in a way that other schools didn't. And that was a big reason for, you know, her reasoning as to why she was influencing you to go to Northwestern.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She felt that energy, you know, that was Dr. Christine Grant um, at the university of Iowa. And that was that period of time where the big Big 10 was really pushing. And the big 10 has stayed true to form because the big 10 network was just developing as I was leaving Michigan state to come to Duke. And I remember Jim Delaney talking to me about that and saying, this thing is really going to go. And it's gotten to the point where I think that Big Ten Network um, has really allowed some of the Big Ten programs, you know, to be special. And it's exciting to see, and it's great to see all the TV coverage, uh, much more than we had back in the day.
0: Yeah, I'll ask you about Caitlin later, but man, if (laughs) if the Big Ten alone is not bringing attention to, to so many people and so many programs, Caitlin sure is, holy moly.
1: Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, what she's doing. Wow. Yeah. Oh. So I've always said this, Val and coach, that you can get lucky and be 20 and eight, but you can't have 26 winning seasons and win 71% of your games. You you just can't. You can't go to a a national championship game. (laughs) You can't go to four straight elite eights, you know, and and I think there's a couple of, uh, maybe four sweet 16s in there somewhere. I mean, you just, you just can't. And so I'm interested, starting my 30th year in coaching and as a professional basketball skills trainer and, a, and as a life coach and someone like Val, who's always interested in learning, a lifelong learner. What did you trust most about yourself in those early days at a program that if we're lucky termed low d1 let alone a mid-major before you got there Mm -hmm. and you were able to have four-hour conversations with recruits (laughs) reference to the book there and you know just but but more than that be able to resonate with not just the kids but the, the the moms the dads and and really get people to come there that would never have considered it otherwise
1: Yeah, we were fortunate. I mean, obviously a great staff and group and very excited to be in my home state and try to help that program, you know, get to the highest level possible. At the time, there were some pretty key uh, in-state players, uh, Sydney Blodgett, Amy Vashon and others. And, um, you know, we also had an incredible post player we got out of Massachusetts, which might've been really the key. Uh, I know she was in defeating Stanford in the NCAA tournament. I got to bring that up. <laughs> Val, of course, Val didn't play at that time, uh, but that was our greatest victory it was in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. And that was a combination. Cindy had actually graduated and that was an Amy Vashon, Jamie Cassidy led team. And mm-hmm. and so we had done a lot of things, beating Alabama when they were 10th in the country. And, you know, it was yeah. a dreaming big thing. And my final four experience really helped me uh, to to think about the possibilities. Uh, so, You know, it was a special time, lots of fans, about, about 5,600 fans for every game. And that, that sold out the Alphonse Arena. Um, Stephen and Tabitha King were very big supporters at the time. So it was wonderful to have them as University of Maine grads be, you know, supportive of the program. And it just, you know, it was incredible. And I will say that Amy's now gone on to be the head coach and they just won another regular season title uh, yesterday or the day before, no, I think yesterday. Um, and so to see that carried on by a former player is very special. She's my former, former point guard who helped us uh, in that not yeah. only did we defeat Stanford. Um, and there's a funny story about that. Tara had just written her book, a uh, shooting right. shooting from the outside. I think it was. And I was reading that book and holding it when we went into the meeting, the NCAA meeting. And she looked at me and I admire Tar greatly. She's one of, I mean, she endorses the book and I just think it, she's special. And she said to me, what do you think of the book? And I said, <laughs> I, I, said I, I hope it gives us an edge. We won by two. Won by two. <laughs> and she was very gracious. Again, there are so many coaches that, you know, if you beat them and you're not supposed to, they just make every excuse under the sun about their team didn't do this. And, and she just said- May, you know Maine played their hearts out she said some very nice things
0: about her team oh man that is we gotta let that breathe Val <laughs> you gotta let it breathe
2: <laughs> I'm a women's basketball fan so during the during March Madness I don't always cheer for Stanford I cheer for I want good games yes because good games are great for the brand of women's basketball but I was thinking about you were talking saying one of your former point guards went on to be a head coach. And I always say that great point guards make great coaches. Have you found that to be true?
1: I, well, I think so in most cases. Um, I think sometimes you can be a, a really stellar player and maybe know the game at a different and personal level that you can't even communicate it. And then you've got these fundamental point guards, you know, which I would consider Amy. She came from a coaching experience. Her dad coached her. And so I think that she had it sort of within her blood, this coaching. So you got to, it's sort of an interesting guess as to who will be a very good head coach, and who can actually communicate principles and do fundamentals, which are so critical uh, to this time, versus they can't really come down off their level, right? They they were so successful they can't really explain why they could do what they could do.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. We could we could unravel that. Yeah, (laughs) man, that would be a fascinating conversation. So I do I do want to talk about this part, uh, you know, in each sort of uh, chronological uh, part of your life uh, over the course of, you know, the last 24 years Mm -hmm. of your coaching career, because Mm -hmm. at 30, that's when some some things transpired Mm -hmm. um, where you thought you were going down a path of, you know, emotional highs and you know, hyper focused, and, you know, people around you notice some things that were not you being your normal self. So Mm -hmm. tell everyone four years into your main experience, you know what transpired, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to oversimplify it in a couple of sentences, because this, this, this whole thing takes time as I know, you know, having lost my father to suicide when I was nine, and Vale knows, having thought about suicide and being in the mental health space herself and advocating mm-hmm. in this space in a way that um, only we can understand now because of the things that we've been through.
1: After I gave birth at 29, a year after giving birth, I had my uh, first episode, a manic episode, and it hit me like someone you know, hit me from behind. I had no idea what it was. This was many, many years ago. There were so much, so many stigmas, nobody even could name anything. And I really was able to, in front of the team, pull it off because it was marked by incredible enthusiasm and sort of this belief in them where they were just, you know, exhilarated by sort of the power of this, you know, mania, except then I began not to sleep at all. And so then I couldn't concentrate. Uh, My husband and friends were saying I was acting differently and they didn't know what to do with me. Actually, my husband drove me to my gynecologist and to say, I don't know what to do with this. I was in the office. They made a judgment on me and decided to get me to the hospital. The only way they could get me there was basically to not tell me where I was going. And then at one point, I thought it was John who needed the help. So I became sort of empathetic and said, okay, well, then let's go to the hospital. Except when we got there, you know, I was on the floor playing with kids' toys. I thought it would be a fabulous idea to play with <laughs> kids' toys. I mean, to me, at my state of mind, it was fun. I, I was full of life and zest. And and my, my husband just watched me do this. And then they pulled me upstairs. And, you know, much to my huge surprise, when I went into the Ward there, the door shut, and John was not inside. And they told him to go. I tried to protect myself.
0: Well, you went into survival mode, you know. Yeah,
1: that's a good way to say it. And I fought. I mean, I fought physically in a way that I don't know if I've ever fought anybody. Um, I believe there was. I mean, a couple of guys and two nurses, and I mean, they were having a, a, a terrible time getting to me. And unfortunately, that's the way it was then. It's different now I think with better psychiatry and better communication and a way to talk people down cognitive behavioral therapy, um, not, not to mention medicine, but they finally got me. they finally got me and gave me medicine that put me out and then I was starting my starting my path back. Um, I missed two weeks of October coaching with my team and and I write in the book that the book is about loyalty. In a great regard, Amy was a part of uh, some of it, more my second episode than my first, but um, they stuck by me when parents were questioning, when administration was questioning. I was told to tell my team that I was coming back from exhaustion, which I was exhausted, but I, was, I wasn't able to tell and share. And, and we went on to win so many championships, it just kind of went away until my second episode.
0: You know, I thought of something, Val, Um, that Stephanie Arnold, who came on the show, she had a premonition that she was going to die giving birth to her second child. Mm -hmm. And her husband didn't believe her. And she did die for 37 seconds. And there's a book about it and there's a movie about it. And she talked about on my show how that affected the relationship of the marriage. Mm -hmm. Because like your husband, he's an economist as well. And he's a numbers person, so you know this better than anyone. That when you're a numbers person, you know you 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 think a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know you're you're statistically driven, and it's really hard for that person to see things in a different way. So I'm just curious, you if you because I didn't hear you talk about this in the book. You mentioned your husband a couple of times in the book, but not often. Mm-hmm. And he was the last person you thanked at the end of the book, mm-hmm. which is as powerful as anything that you said in the book, as it speaks to what he means to you Mm -hmm. and what he's meant to you during this entire journey Mm -hmm. but can you expound upon what you felt going forward in terms of trust and what you learned about trust Mm -hmm. when somebody closest to you did something that was probably as gut-wrenching as anything that he's ever done Mm -hmm. and then you guys having to reconcile that um afterwards and then how what that taught you how that made you a better coach I don't know if that made sense I was trying I was I thought yeah. about it on the fly I was sort of thinking out loud so if it, it sounded jumbled I apologize but I feel like trust is such an important thing not yes. only on the court but off and so there the, it, even if it felt a, like a step backwards have you guys did, did you grow from that even though you were so mad at him you wanted to kill him
1: yeah I think that's an important concept the breaking of, of a trust and understanding how to build trust. I think that's important in life. Uh, Life is very complicated. And yes, I was furious. I I wouldn't deal with him in any way uh, for, for a while. And he continued to be his scientific self. And he understood that my brain chemistry was not right. And he didn't hold it against me. He didn't say, well, why did you speak that way to me when I visited you in the hospital and You know, he quickly uh, forgot all that. And I I write in the book that I was so fortunate to have a scientific thinker, Mm -hmm. you know, A is a kind of thing. He thought, well, we have a brain, you know, we have a brain that needs help. It's no different than a liver or a kidney or a heart. It needs help. And so he was an advocate for brain health long before, long before it was, popular or studied i remember him telling me about lithium being on the periodic table of elements and you know kind of that concept of well your body needs this for some reason you know you're lacking and lithium has been a big part of the medicine i take and i am very grateful because it's a very good medicine if you can take it and so um, i was able able to have a baby our second child while taking lithium and that's a whole different story and there's almost no research about lithium in utero and what that's like for mothers and i think that's interesting as well what's not studied or how we need to catch up
0: and the significance of that was because you wanted to breastfeed and Mm -hmm. and you were you had reservations about that because of your fear of impacting your son
1: Right. And at this time today, it's come out a Harvard study is that you absolutely can nurse. You can do it. And as you know, it's proportional. And, um, you know, I also wonder about my son as he was exposed to lithium throughout his, you know, um, throughout the pregnancy. But what's really interesting about Jack is he's the smartest in the family by far. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's as you jack-
0: were calling for him earlier to fix the microphone problem.
1: Yeah, Jack. I mean, did say that? <laughs> yes, I did. I jack. Do jack. I jack. <laughs> um, he helped me with the computer writing the book. I mean, he deserves big props for what he did. And now he's a computer science major at Northwestern, and knocking it out. But I laugh at it because as a mother, I worried so much about him how would he be what would happen to him he's a great athlete he can dunk at five eleven, and uh, wow uh, yeah he can he can put it down and um anyway he's again he's the smartest I feel like we're a fairly smart family but he's at another level
0: wow and he's a senior manager for coach collins there at northwestern it should be noted yes oh man that that's (laughs) where do you think he gets his hops from
1: Oh, come on, come on.
0: Yeah, there we go.
2: Yeah. You love I mean, that
0: answer, Val? Val's Val's mind is... is. Well, I, I, have, I
2: have two sons, and I'm glad they don't have my hops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had a phenomenal footwork, Val. Some of the best footwork I've ever seen Oh in my, my entire gosh, life.
1: An incredible post player. Uh, oh. it sort of set the tone for, for post play overall and, and was a critical figure uh, in that I, with that team, never would have won it without
0: Val. No right? way, and it wouldn't surprise me if Kevin McHale got his footwork from Bell. <laughs> no, I'm dead oh, serious. Kevin you McHale. guys, you oh man, his footwork, you know, had to have you know been learned from you. It's oh, unbelievable. So, Coach, how do you how do you because uh, I'm starting a second podcast. Uh, it's called FYI, mm-hmm. Follow Your Intuition. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you view that now versus you know back in? Mm-hmm. The 90s and early 2000s?
1: Well, I will say that being diagnosed and recovering from it um, and being in remission for about 24 years, and there is a word remission where you actually are doing great, um, taught me a lot about intuition and communication and seeing things with different uh, female athletes, issues that they were dealing with, anxiety, eating disorders, coaching a, a, a young lady bipolar on my team. You know, you could really sense things in a sixth sense kind of way because I think that you had to hyper analyze yourself to get to a healthy space relative to taking medicine and to understanding what kind of schedule you needed to do so. So I had two episodes at Maine, a manic one, a depressive one, and that was just downright silly because I stopped taking my meds thinking I was a know-it-all and I was feeling better, you know, Val shaking her head and it's, we all, I mean, take, it was just so ridiculous. And I also didn't tell anybody. I right. knew that if I told anybody there'd be this big upset. So I said, I'm feeling great. And I can remember, um, the psychiatrist saying to me, cause I asked her about it. She said, if you go off your meds, you're going to have an, another, um, episode at the worst time possible that you could ever imagine. And sure enough, it was in season in February, where I let my team down by not being on medicine. This time I wasn't out, but I wasn't myself for a good week. We lost a game because I wasn't clear to them. I had to sit them down and admit to them that I had not taken my meds. Wow. And that that episode never needed to happen. And so after that episode, I became, you know, just fortified in a way to take my meds and i talk about this when i get on the speaking circuit i talk about taking meds a lot and as athletes we don't like to take meds because we feel like we're putting a foreign substance into our body that could complicate things and i knew i was better with my meds my brain was better i was better and i was a better coach and i really was a better coach i kind of went from being that more authoritarian authoritarian as a younger coach <laughs> right to, you know because you're trying so hard to show that you can do it, right? So everyone needs to line up really quickly. And then you move to a player's coach over time. And then sometimes you're a combination depending upon the circumstance. But then I had a 24 year right through Michigan State and right through Duke. I left Duke in July 1 of 2020, and I had a mammoth episode in June of 21. I mean, out of nowhere, On vacation and the scary thing was I was on my meds
0: was this was this a new cocktail
1: no it wasn't well they had to find a new cocktail but basically but see you got to roll it back I July 1 I'm out from coaching which is hugely impactful in my life right my father dies right and I get a hysterectomy
0: right All
1: of that. And I had that cancer scare. So all of that, and they really, my doctors have been kind of looking at this because I was taking the right med cocktail and they think the hysterectomy took me out uh, relative to my brain chemicals, my hormones and all of that. But I tell you what, that one was brutal and it was unfair. I I can say all I want about unfairness in life. Um, My kids were exposed to it. My older kids now, because they've all grown up by now. Jack was, 20 at the time i think no 21 at the time and maddie was 26 or 20 27 and so they had to see mom in a different concept and it was very protective the isolated episode i was not even in the state of north carolina uh but i that's might be some other story i've not told the story very much uh it's not in the book because it happened
0: right it was after after.
1: yeah
0: i'm sorry that happened well your kids got to see a more authentic version of their mom. Yes. I'm sure it's helping them to be more uh, empathetic Mm -hmm. and thoughtful and compassionate in that space.
1: Yes. And I think they really, they were beginning to wonder what manic depressive disorder was, bipolar. You know, one time I got onto Jack because one of his friends had said a teacher was bipolar, meaning describing the personality of the teacher, you know, and I said, Jack, you know, don't you ever do that Mm -hmm. Um, there. You need to, uh, you know, you need to teach education and you can't call the weather bipolar. You can't call people bipolar unless you know they've been diagnosed and they're willing to share that with you. And I just can't stand when language Mm -hmm. is misused and um, makes things seem very trite when they're not.
0: Absolutely. Val, you have anything follow up?
2: Well, I was gonna say that your experiences um, with your hospitalizations were sound similar to mine. Um, mm. my, my second one was involuntary and was, you know, my husband, I thought he ratted me out. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so mad at him wow. um, going in, but I, I was misdiagnosed. Um, mm. I, for me, I'm always feeling my worst when I'm depressed. So I, I always get help when I was depressed. So I got diagnosed with depression. But I actually was bipolar, so my I would come off the medicine or the, 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 the antidepressants make me feel more manic. Oh yes, I would have an, an episode. But when you're manic, um, for me, I played better. I, you know, I had more energy. Um, I was obviously more moody. I have bi. I'm more bipolar two than bipolar one. Mm-hmm. Um, have more rapid um, mood swings. But like mm-hmm. you said. Um, I hated taking medicine. Um, it made me feel so flawed that I had to be on medicine and I was embarrassed. I didn't tell anyone. And even I took a whole season off of the WBA because of depression, but in the paper, we just said, I'm personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you have to say exhaustion, I have to say mm-hmm. personal reasons. So I, I, your story definitely resonates with me.
1: Yeah. I, I, a lot of good, a lot of similarities there. And, um, Yeah. It's just so interesting about some of the preconceived notions we have about the medicine. I mean, you had it, I had it. And also when people are misdiagnosed, I mean, that can really send things into complication. So many, so many people are diagnosed with depression that are in fact bipolar. Like that is a lot. I wish there was more of a study on that because you're looking at about 5% of the population is bipolar, but I'm not sure I believe that based on what I've witnessed at various schools and in and situations.
0: Well, and, and it sort of brings me uh, up to the next point, which is um, influencers being more public about this, you know, you 2 Liz Cambage, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, and, and there's, there's others, uh, Metaworld, Sanderford our test, you know, and so this is what we need is to normalize it, demystify it as uncomfortable as it is, especially in the black and brown communities, because, you know, there's still a stigma there in particular. Hmm. And so I think it's amazing that uh, we're talking about this uh, in a way that, you know, you, you, you two just described uh, because it's so important.
1: It is, and I, for me, there's a little bit of a sidebar with coaches you know, coaches are desperately afraid to come out. You know, you know whether it's—I mean, if you think about it. There's so many things. I mean, that people try to say or do about coaches. Uh, there's women in coaches that I'm worried about. You know, if you raise your voice or demanding, you're one thing. But if a guy's coach, you know, rips a woman, then he's fine. You know, there's a lot of bit, of, a lot of double standard situations. And well, on- and you
0: faced this early on too, because somebody in a blog said something, and it came out, you know, not because of your own volition, and so you had to navigate that space of, you know, somebody outing you, and you it wasn't something that you were ready to talk about, and so then you had to, you know, deal with that. So that's frustrating, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was welcome to coaching in the triangle. <laughs> I mean, one of the first blogs is, did you know she was on lithium? I, you know, I have no idea um, how anybody would ever find that out. And because my, I mean, your records are pretty, you know, tight there. Um, So (laughs) so anyway, it's part of coaching in the triangle. But at at the same time, too, again, you worry about people making judgments. You you can't worry about it too much because you are who you are authentically. And I was extremely passionate coach, demanding coach and a fair coach. But if you didn't hustle or work extra on your free throws, I mean, I'll let you know it. Like, you, you know, you got to, you know, prepare. And, you know, I, whether it was Michigan State or Duke, Maine, wherever I was, I actually got softer through my years of coaching. Toughest at Maine, very tough at Michigan State, because we drove through five years to get to that national title. And mm-hmm. it, at Duke, I think tough, but I also think. Pulled back a little bit because of the lack of support. You know, those 20% of the people that were just very sad that Gail had left and made sure they weren't going to support me from the very beginning. Mm. And so there was all that dynamic, which kind of holds you back a little bit. And and you got to watch yourself more. And, and I think that's not a great space to be in. But when you think about behavior, people want to judge you. You know, they want to say, oh, she's aggressive. So she must have been bipolar in that moment. And all I can say is the disorder is much more sophisticated than that. And it doesn't quite work that way, Um, especially if you're on meds. And when I say on remission, I followed a real regimen through my time as coaching and did not waver from it. And I think that's, I mean, we give up a lot. I mean, I don't go out, drink alcohol, you keep a steady diet, you exercise, you're committed in a way that a lot of people can't keep that sleep. Oh my gosh. And right. You said it sleep. I mean, I had to get, I was fortunate enough to be able to afford a a sleep number bed. It's the greatest thing ever. (laughs) I mean, you know, those sleep ring, those sleep rings giving you feedback. Right. um, I mean, I talk about these things in building this foundation. That's not set up yet because we're still pulling in dollars. um, I want to be able to do that you know, sleep rings and communicate about a sleep number and maybe bring the cost down so people can realize that sleep is that important. And your brain, I mean, only 2% of the population can deal with low sleep. Adults need seven to nine hours of sleep per night to maximize brain health and physical health and all of that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And let's not even get into the diet piece and the exercise and movement and, you know, controlling what we can to, to feed the brain, to be able to go in a direction that it needs to go in, let alone other challenges that you guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's, and this pandemic threw that into a loop on top of it.
1: Oh, gosh, oh, did, it, did it ever, and it provided just another trigger. Right. You know, we talk about triggers that we go through in life, whether it's, um, you know, having a baby, uh, stress or other things, there are triggers. Some people don't really fire off if they have a protected life. with with bipolar anyway, I mean, I know I have an undiagnosed family member, and she's lived her whole life that way, and I tell you, it's crushing to see what the effects of that can be. Um, That's hard to, that's hard to watch, especially being diagnosed and benefiting from the medicine that I've been able to benefit from.
2: So you say you're in remission. I never actually even heard that term before for the illness, but um, for me, it took me about 10 years to finally feel like I was in my flow. Yeah. Um, how about you, did, it, did you feel it took you some time to just feel like yourself again?
1: Yes, and I think it was marked by the human connection I had with the players. See, being part of a team structure, that those players demand that you're on it. And I mean that in a good way. So I really feel I had eight years at Maine and I would say the last three years were utter bliss and winning championships, and I was really in my groove. When Michigan State came calling, I also was just so excited to be back in the Big Ten Mm. and build that program. And it went so fast that we were just completely immersed in what we were doing. So that occurred. And then Duke was a special job to me. I really was excited about going to Duke. And so again, I think I, I really worked hard on structure and exercise and my meds were doing well, I didn't have another child, which might've been a complicating force. Uh, So I do feel like, I use the term remission loosely because I know it's primarily for cancer and other other diseases and problems, but I've been told by some in psychiatry that yes, you were, and you had worked it for 24 years. I was beginning to think I was not bipolar I, I said to John
2: are we sure this is right yeah you
1: know, <laughs> does this make sense I mean Val did you feel that way like like after 10
2: yeah yeah and, and and when I tell people I I have bipolar they're like oh no no not you but yeah. Yeah. when I look back at my history like um high school and um even college how my coaches always call me moody and my ups and downs I I was for sure by that Medication is really, and I still hate taking it every day, but <laughs> I, it's just a, it contradicts my whole being of popping a pill, but I have a biochemical imbalance that needs to be balanced. And mm. that's, that's what I tell myself, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I don't have this. because I, feel so- I, I
1: really thought, uh, John even thought, John thought, well, maybe you outgrew it. Wow. You know, and, and so... And then, of course, this third episode, what scares me, Val, and I don't know if you've heard this, but you can be, I think you get more bipolar, like I'm bipolar one, two, and probably three, um, as they try to develop what exactly that is, but um, through age, it can get worse. Oh, no. And that's something I've read about. And I don't know if that's, you know, true in all studies. But I've read about that possibly. And some people (laughs) think that, that's not always the case, but that you have to really kind of be hyper vigilant mm-hmm. as you go into your later part of life. And of course I had a kidney complication Val, right. My lithium started eating my kidney. Um, so that, then I had to you know pare down there and and build back up again, which I was able to do and uh, that wasn't as serious as we thought it would be. Um, so there's lots of things that we go through. even life expectancy, if you read about it, it doesn't apply to everybody, but our life expect- expectancy is supposed to be shorter. And I'm not sure what that's all about. Uh, maybe the meds, um, but I'm like you Val, I I really like taking my standard, you know, lithium and lamictal is what works for me. But when I have to add to it, like let's say gabapentin or clonopin, depending upon what's happening with me, I can't stand that. I don't wanna add anything. But my doctor, yeah. if I haven't been sleeping, um, you know, she adds some things and I don't like it. I still don't like it, even after understanding uh, the disease very well.
2: Yeah, but and the crazy part is we don't judge other people for <laughs> blood pressure medicine, or, but mm-hmm. we judge ourselves for mm-hmm. you know, taking the medication that we're, that we're taking. Oh, and what is bipolar 3?
1: Well, no, they're starting to actually I don't even know but I saw it somewhere.
2: Oh, there's another one.
1: Yeah, they're starting to develop another one. And I'm not sure what it says about mood swings and I, I don't know, I I threw it out there because it's out there.
0: Yeah, I applaud both of you for being so transparent. I, I do want to ask if either one of you want to just touch on because we've, we've talked about mania and, and we used to call it manic depression. And so now it's, you know, the technical term is bipolar, but what are some of the, we don't want to, you know, say this is true for everyone, but what are some of the things that you encounter when you're manic versus, you know, in the depressed state? And obviously, like I said, it differs for everybody and always check with your, you know, psychiatrist uh, and your, and your
2: primary care physician. Yeah. Your
0: primary care physician before, you know, you ever make any decisions, but, but maybe someone was listening and they say, wow, I've been having those kinds of things happen for 10 years. What, what are some signs for them to look for?
1: Well, Val, you said it Lack of sleep. Okay. You start, you start getting excited about life, wanting to work at night, you know, thinking that you're invincible and you, so sleep is a kickoff. You know, one thing I can give you is I was driving and the radio was playing and it was if every song meant something to me and was actually being played for me. At one point wow. I thought the TV was talking to me and I had to deal with that uh, with one of my recruits, Jamie Cassidy, who still went to Maine and she was the one who was the 6'4 post player. Your speech becomes very, very quick. Your thinking is really quick. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was certainly very smart I mean, I aced the calculus. <laughs> test. I, I, I aced the calculus test um, in a way that I was more high strung, but I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Val. What else did you do?
2: <laughs> um, for me, I had more. Um, what do you call that? Rage and blow ups.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um,
2: with mood, mood swings, I would snap at my kids, mm-hmm. and wow. they they wouldn't. They didn't know who I was. Yeah. Yeah. Back. back to I guess quote unquote normal, and then when I was playing basketball, which I didn't realize it, I would I was more edgy on the court and mm-hmm. um, more easily activated towards maybe not violence but just wanted to do something. Felt like I wanted to do something. Oh, I, I want to get her mm-hmm. back, and I mean and that could be that still could be well, of course my dog's barking. I just could be general. But I could, I was just pinpointing different times in my in my life where I, where mm-hmm. I could think about, you know, I think this was a, I was bipolar and those symptoms were coming through. But for me, I never really knew about it until I would get really low and my, my low was really low.
1: Yeah. And,
2: and my highs were just like, you know, back and forth with, with the mood swings.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the hardest thing, uh, Mike, is that you, people treat you so differently. Um, you know, you sometimes have to go back. You have to go back and people you've offended or, you know, you have to go back and explain yourself, right? You have to go back and try to make amends, except it's not your fault. You know, it's not your fault. It's it's not like you, you know, I don't know, did something that was your fault, I guess. I mean, it, it's it's a brain issue. And if your brain is sort of shorting, You know, shorting out, I guess if you have a brain stroke. stroke. Okay, if you have a stroke, people are empathetic and they send you flowers. They send you food to your home and they take care of you. Okay, well, a brain disorder like bipolar, many things happen and everybody runs away. There's no flowers. There's no food sense. And even people that were your dearest friends become sort of spooked by what they saw, what they witnessed, what they felt. There's no apology that works. I've seen people treat me differently in administration. I've seen people back way off. Uh, People are fearful, they can't get over it. And I think that's one of the incredible things about bipolar manic depression that is so unfair, is how it just hangs on. And some people just judge you in ways that are inaccurate, uh, ill-placed, and you have to live with that.
0: And so, well, that's what you're doing now is uh, speaking out, not only with your book, but um, you were supported in an event there in the state of North Carolina to talk about this very thing. And you're doing this, you know, worldwide. And it should be noted that, you know, worst case scenario for people is suicide is, Mm -hmm. is taking their life. Mm -hmm. And like my father did, and he was mentally ill when I was nine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it impacts people, you know, so if you see a sign in somebody, just tell them that you love them and that you care about them. And, you know, maybe that'll be enough to get them the help that they need.
1: Yes. I, I've had many situations already, whether it was Mississippi state or Bowdoin or the places that I've spoken to have students come up to me and I speak corporate as well. But boy, when you speak with students, mm. it's amazing. And I have to say, Mike, I take a coaching approach um, because I'm a coach with this diagnosis. I kind of am able to push the envelope more, right? You know, and as so, you know, you got this, like, you know, when I've gotten a few calls or conversations, kids have said something like, you know, I'm bi- bipolar and I don't want it. And I could say to them, well, wait a minute, you, you know, you football player. Yeah. I said, you must not be a very good football player. You know, the kid's (laughs) like, oh yeah, I'm a great football player. I said, no, you're not. If you, if you were, you could handle this, you know? So I, am able to kind of throw it back a little bit, you know, because I think it's important for us to recognize that people have to be motivated and sometimes it's hard, you know, it's tough love, you know, that you got to say, look, you know, and this guy, we, we talked to, he ended up talking to me a lot. Um, I don't do an individual stuff. I'm not a doctor at all. This just happened to be a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out he's now, you know, he ran the Boston Marathon. You know, he got over, mm-hmm. because people could hear about, yeah, you take your meds. Yeah, this is a pain. Yeah, you do this. You know, you do that. And, um, and on the other side of it, when we talk about kids too, and, and adults even, you have to come across a saying, That suicide is a hostile act like it's not it's not to be celebrated with teddy bears. I mean, like to me, when when some of these events have occurred on campus and they've, they've stopped classes, I want them to have classes to go to class, put that Ted Lasso box in the middle and have people throw in their concerns or throw in their experiences and have each professor have to dedicate that day to brain health. Absolutely. You know, and so there's. So anyway, I, I have a different approach to what currently is done, and I feel like we've got to take a stand. Yeah. And I have thought of taking my life. I'm right there Val. I have thought of it. And I and I, I again, we come from a place of experience. And so I think we have a different uh, view, at least I do, uh, relative to coaching and how to motivate and say some things that are direct uh, to young people.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. And really, people just need to know that they're not alone a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, we could talk about this for hours. All right, let's get to the rapid fire. And then I'm sure we'll unpack a couple of things in there. Uh, Val, buckle your seatbelt. All right. So in the old days, coach, we used to write letters to recruits. Yes. Now, not so much. (laughs) But Coach K actually does still write letters, I hear, on his former player's birthdays, which I found fascinating. Uh, Rashawn McCloud was on the show and he talked about it, you know, and, and Jay Billis as well. Uh, so having said that, do you prefer phone calls to recruits, in-person visits, written, handwritten letters, or texting?
1: In-person visits by far.
0: Of course, yeah. Well, who made you the best dinner?
1: Oh, Oh, uh, the late, uh, probably, oh, there's been many, but my my late Stacey Perini, who passed of breast cancer, one of my players passed, yeah. and her mother, Debbie Perini, put on quite an Italian uh, show there. So great memories, fond memories.
0: Oh, man. When someone makes you a part of the family on, on a recruiting mm-hmm. visit, that just changes you forever. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so you met Larry Bird and Magic Johnson on the same day. Uh, how was that when Larry brought his daughter? Talk about that.
1: Oh, it was incredible. In practice, kind of see out of the corner of your eye. <laughs> Try
0: to yeah. act like everything's like, yeah, we're good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and the funny thing is I've made jokes to my players that I don't care who walks in our gym. I don't, care, <laughs> I don't care what goes on. And so Larry Bird comes in and actually everyone keeps going. And so I go over and talk to him and it, we're, the team is still practicing. Well, I talked to him and then finally I sort of break down. I'm like, you know, would you like to meet the team? And he said, yes. And so I stopped practice and the kids got a kick out of that. They were grateful first of all. And then they were like, yeah, coach, I guess (laughs) you practice. I said, yeah, for Larry Bird, I wore his number, (laughs) number 33. I wore it, loved it.
0: Oh man. (laughs) So I said in the intro, we would talk about um, the legendary coach, Dean Smith from North Carolina why I mentioned him in the intro. Can you talk about the conversation you had with him?
1: Oh, incredible. Um, Whistler, British Columbia, taking a gondola up to the top of the mountain to have a wonderful dinner sponsored by Nike. And we were inside the facility it was beautiful. And he was really drawn to my husband um, because of my husband's brother was a Moorhead scholar uh, at Carolina. And he was very impressed by that. And so we began talking and he whispered, Um, you know, to me, I I was sort of sad about not being able to win that national championship in 2005. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, you know, well, you went to the final four. He said, my final four, you know, we lost in the semis. And I was like, really? (laughs) And he said, that puts you ahead of me. (laughs) I was like, whoa. I mean, I just, I was floored by that statement. And then he admitted that we were his favorite team, that your women's team, yeah. and not, wow. not to tell anybody at Carolina. <laughs> that's
0: fascinating. Uh, what a great story, yeah. Val. If you have any rapid fires you want to throw in, just let just let us know. Okay, so uh, you and your go, yeah, go ahead.
2: I want to know if she puts sugar or salt in her grits. Ooh. Oh,
1: oh, cheese.
2: That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's I a new one.
1: <laughs> oh, cheesy grits, but I have to say salt to answer your question. Yeah,
0: that's, that's love great. them, love them. So in that same food space, you and your husband both love seafood, especially when you lived in Maine and and I was in Baltimore and they have a great place out here in San Diego. So if you come out here, you and Val, it's on me. It's called (laughs) the Crab Hut. It is amazing. So did you ever find a place in East Lansing or Durham that compared to the Maine seafood? Oh gosh, no. No way. Not even close.
1: No. So you used
0: to eat at Pat's Pizza, especially when you had late nights in the office at Maine, (laughs) ever find a pizza place that compared to Pat's?
1: Oh, better in New York city it's right by that garden. I, I just went there and I was speaking to, I, I was just speaking in Manhattan, but but there's nothing like New York pizza. My dad is mm. from New York and there's nothing like it. Sorry. Nothing like it. We
0: didn't talk too much about your dad. You want to share a little bit about what an amazing person he was serving our country.
1: Yeah. He, um, special pilot. I was a great, great pilot for many years. Mm. Uh, I really enjoyed his Navy experience. And then he went to the private sector. He was the dad that was rebounding the ball to me all the time and allowed me to swear and stuff when I got upset and I missed. I was pretty intense, like,
0: you know, (laughs) like
1: I was was pretty ticked off when I missed. And dad took me to lunch on game days and um, took me to the gym and and rebounded. And I'm very much like my dad, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. And it was a really a blow. He was not well in some ways, but I just visited him. Mm. And, um, you know, losing a parent is probably one of the single most difficult experiences of anyone's life. Uh, of course, not knowing a parent could be equally yeah. so, but losing a parent. So um, that was a rough go of it. After leaving Duke, I, I got hit hard on a couple things. And
0: mm.
1: anyway, he's a good man.
0: You had him for a long time. Special, mm-hmm. special person, for yeah. sure. I love yeah. learning about him in the book. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, a quick story. I won't tell you the full. So I, I walked on the campus of Duke for the first time about 15 years ago. Now, it was Christmas break. And so this was, this was about 2009, uh, I think, Christmas time, something like that. So I went to visit my former player who was playing a Presbyterian, and they had just gone D1, and they were playing at North Carolina uh, the next day, but I had a, a night to walk on the Duke campus. So I was looking around, I was like, where is it? Because all the buildings look the same. <laughs> and it, like it's next to the rec center. And I'm like, that's it. And I was like blown away. So I was like, oh, I gotta get inside. So I checked the first door right in front on the side there where it says, you know, the name. Mm-hmm. Locked. I go around the side, I'm looking around. There's nobody on campus. Everyone's gone. So I checked the second door on the far side. Locked. God damn it. So I go around the <laughs> back side of the building. You know, my heart's racing right now, right? Because I'm like, if anyone sees me shaking this door, I'm going to get arrested. So I open the door and it's open. I was like, holy shit. So I go inside. I'm like listening to make sure no one's in. There. It's pitch black. Everywhere. And so the only lights were like these these like emergency lights, I guess they were mm-hmm. when you walked in there and, you know, the trophy cases and I was just like, you know, and I followed college basketball big time back then, right? Parade All-Americans and, you know, Street and Smith and all that stuff. And so I go and sit on the upper level. And there's only one light in the place. And you know this, right? And so you have these, the rafters, right? And the lights are in the rafters. emergency lights are in the rafters. And it's shining down on Coach K Court and the D right in the middle. That's it. And I'm sitting there by myself for 30 minutes. And it was the most surreal spiritual experience I've ever had um, in sports, besides uh, standing next to Tiger Woods when he mishit a shot on the first hole of the 2008 U.S. Open. And everyone was quiet when he hit the shot. But it was, I mean, I can't even imagine. I haven't been to a game when the fans are there. So I have another question, but I got to ask you, because, you know, you you had so much success at both Michigan State and Duke. What's it like? In Cameron Indoor, like oh my god,
1: hard to explain as you felt. Um, obviously smaller, tremendous advantage, right? Because it's smaller, and when it's packed, it's just like the floor. Um, the floor vibrates, you know. It right. Feels, it feels like it vibrates with the fans, and it's obviously um, a special, iconic place to play. And some people argue the very best anywhere and i would say it's it's pretty spectacular and it's because it's throwback there's no advertising on the walls there's right. no i mean i know there are plenty of facilities out there that are larger and all those things but it, to me it's so collegial oh it's so collegial and so historic and that's what i love about it
0: okay but 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 the fans they're so <laughs> smart they'll jingle keys they'll hold up newspapers like did you ever like Stop coaching for a second and look and be like, oh my God, like, are they really doing that today? <laughs> um, like, yeah, I mean, oh. yes and no.
1: You're so focused. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're so in the tunnel, but there's uh, no question their creativity is, they score very well in creativity and uh, um, very devoted and have been devoted to Coach K for years and years, except for his early years where everybody gave him a hard time. Uh, but right, that, right. Didn't, that didn't last very long. Nope. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing tradition. Yeah.
0: What's it like to see the beds and pitching tents outside of Krzyzewskiville?
1: I can't believe they do it because again, going back to sleep (laughs) and comfort and, you know, you think about it. I still never, we gave donuts and went out there and wanted to go to the women's games and all of that. But I just, I can't believe that tradition and it's freezing often. Freezing. It's just, yeah. 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 Complete
0: (laughs) What about Coach K and Coach Izzo's support for you?
1: Uh, tremendous. I um, Izzo was great. We went to the same Final Four. And, yes, uh, amazing. And that was incredible. And Coach K and I, I, we came three points away from going to the same Final Four. The guys made it. We lost to Brittany Greiner
0: yep.
1: uh, by three. And um, I, I step back sometimes and think about working with the Hall of Famers and, and the fact that I almost went to two Final Fours, one with each how interesting that would be. And I'm always one to embrace coaches. I've never had trouble with guys coaches. I kind of, you know, I hold my own. I say what I got to say. Both of them are like big brothers to me, but we had, our, we had, I'm not gonna say arguments. We had differences mm-hmm. of opinion and things and that's life in a fast lane. But I think that I really enjoyed both of them, particularly coach K and his army background with my Navy background. Right, uh, There was definitely a connection there.
0: Did you ever have an assistant coach who you disagreed with vehemently, but yet you still took their advice and they were right?
1: Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm just trying to think of a specific. So while
0: you're thinking about it, Val, Val's got to go. She's got to jump on another. Uh, All right, Val. But Val, thank you so much for joining. Me. It was amazing having you. Well, we got a few more questions, not too many, but yeah. Thanks, Great to Val. See you, Val. We love you. You too. So, yeah, I'm just curious about that, right? Because it's, you know, you're in control all the time, right? And you're like, you know, you have a certain way that you see things and you're adjusting mm-hmm. on the fly mm-hmm. and in-game adjustments. And then here comes your assistant, like, coach, we got to go zone. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh, oh there's
1: defi- Yeah, definitely some of that. You're listening to your assistants. Obviously, I listen to my more, like Al Brown.
0: Mm-hmm. I had a
1: very experienced assistant for many years. So you go with experience without question, um, but you're listening, you know, for subs and different things. I felt that play calls always came down to me pretty much uh, making that final play call on a time and score. And I love time and scores. I thought they were great. And I I, want to add something to that. Time and score was one of the things I was best at as a coach. And it, it was because of my impairment. Nothing could have been harder for me than to go through what I did with that whole scenario with being diagnosed. That transferred over to the concept of I've already been through, I mean, how could anything be a pressure situation? I mean, after that, it just, I felt totally different and very calm in the most difficult
0: situations. You find yourself yelling at the television when you watch games now?
1: (laughs) What are you doing? You know, (laughs) it's funny. Everyone seems to have the same offense. Post play seems to have gone away. And there's randomness with who takes shots. Like we made sure your best players were taking shots. And I just watch these games and and I'm not saying every game. Okay. I'm not saying every team, but I'm saying when I've watched them and I haven't watched a lot because I've kind of diverted, but man, I'm like, can you please make sure this person's shooting the ball, especially in a time and score or, or do we rebound? Like where's the post play? Do we have to play five guard perimeter stuff, which seems so infantile. You know, when you think of Val and the kind of post player she, she was and, I think some teams, yes, have great post players. You see it. South Carolina yeah. for one. Okay. But
0: Kansas I'm, State. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's some in, impressive ones. But Virginia Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, terrific. And NC Ooh, State. Yeah. Yeah. NC yeah. State. Oh. Um, but still, there's a lot of teams that are like saying they're going to try to advance to the final four and they're just running around with guards. Right. You know? I'm thinking that's not probably going to work.
0: Inside out.
1: I believe that.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. So, are are you reading any great books right now that resonate um, with you?
1: Let's see. I'm poking. I'm poking at uh, Brene Brown's new book, but I can't say I'm reading it. I'm just kind of going through it right now. So I love Brene Brown, and she's terrific. I do a lot of um, books on tape.
0: Me too. You including know, including so, yours.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 did you? Oh, write I
0: loved it. it. Oh, I loved it. Sound?
1: How did they sound?
0: You sounded amazing. Yeah, you really did. It was it made it it made it. I know some people like to feel the book and turn the pages, but uh, I like listening to people that narrate their own books.
1: Oh, it's great. It was amazing. Yeah. Robin Roberts, uh, older book that I never read. I'm going back to that. Um, So there's other stuff. And my books on tape are more for like Kristen Hannah's books. I've gone through all of those like Firefly Lane. And Mm -hmm. I like to step outside the box sometimes and just be like entertained.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever read uh The Road Less Traveled?
1: I did read that, but you know what? I read that a long time ago. Me
0: too. I would be interested to know how it would resonate with me now cuz there is a spiritual yeah. component to it that yeah. I that that would resonate with you probably differently than me, but it was more in the second book, further along the road less traveled cuz he didn't really indicate it as much in the first book. Yeah. You know, you know his relationship with Christ and that kind of thing. So it was interesting. And I read Viktor Frankl's book too obviously.
1: Oh, meaning?
0: Yeah, man, search for meaning. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man, for,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I can't say enough about that one. Yeah.
0: Oh. Uh, so two words you talk about in your book, surrendering versus succumbing. So can you let everyone know like the difference between those two? I already know, but it's such an important distinction, right?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. I feel like, you know, I think that, you know, succumbing if I have this right, I hadn't read my book in a while. <laughs> you know, succumbing to me, I mean, that's more as the negative connotation of right. giving in, right? Just giving yeah. in and, and just exasperated, defeated, all of those things. Surrender is, you know, I know we talk about it in, in war and things, surrender, but.
0: Or in so Christ.
1: You know, right, right, true. I just think that sometimes you have to divert and find yourself in a different way.
0: So be vulnerable?
1: Yeah, be vulnerable and I think give, give away some old habits,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, so, like almost surrender them and allow yourself to be vulnerable. And I think it allows us to grow. And yeah, I know I've been very vulnerable in many different situations. And um, I think it's obviously made me stronger in many ways
0: you're a true virago and, and uh, it's your superpower now. I know you didn't always feel that way, but man, what, what a journey. So if you, last question, if you could have five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive. So what five people would be at your dinner table?
1: (laughs) Arthur Ashe.
0: Oh man. I love a tennis player. Yep. Uh,
1: Yeah. I think I would go highly tennis. Um, Arthur Ashe, uh, Martina. Yeah, actually, it's funny, you say Martina, I was, Steffi Graf is who I think, so probably Arthur Ashe and Steffi Graf Hmm. mixed with Ayn Rand, (laughs) that's a, that's a, a
0: (laughs) wow, that's a first,
1: um, probably, uh, I mean, Pat Summit. yeah, maybe Coach K,
0: yeah, Mix in some people, you know, and you don't know, that'd be an interesting table for sure.
1: That's an interesting
0: table. (laughs) Wow. Oh, I love it. Well, uh, anything else that you want to share with people about, you know, where you're, where you're headed, where, you know, in the next five years and where people can find your stuff and you have some amazing things in the background. Uh, your your book and and who's in the over your right shoulder with a with a fist pump a woman of color there people are going to be listening sometimes to this not not watching it so you have your gold medal there but then on the shelf to the left of that you have a woman with a fist yeah right up
1: oh that's ruthie
0: oh that's
1: ruthie bolton oh yeah okay oh wow yeah Yeah, that's ruthie and her her mighty self yep
0: She's special. That's you have um, your gold medal there. Yeah. Is that the national championship game?
1: Yeah, that's that's tipping off.
0: Oh, yep. amazing.
1: Yep. Um, but getting back to what we're working on, it's Team Secret Warrior. I'm yes. a full time philanthropist right now. Yep. I don't have the foundation established. I'm bringing in the monies. I do not take a salary. I speak uh, many places. And um, yes, I charge money, except if it's a pro bono situation because those monies are going to the future secret warrior for brain health foundation. Um, right now it's coach P for life. That's like you said, number four, that's for final four. That's why it's a four. And I'm on all social.
0: Wait, 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 I want to say something about that. Cause I was waiting for the right time to say something. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you said you have mood disorder for life at one point in your book. And I just want to throw that in there that the number four could be that also oh. just, a, just a thought because you said it yeah. in the book mood disorder for life and yeah. you went to the final four so that's yeah. where you said the four came from yeah it, it could also be mood disorder for life yes as well for your coach p for life just just a thought it's yeah
1: yes yes um that is totally true um but right now it's coach p for life on all yeah. social I right. write like I use LinkedIn for a blog like type of situation. So I write on LinkedIn uh, when things move me to write and I reach out. I uh, I definitely answer DMs. I, I'm aware to other people Clearly. on my social. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I was like, she just answered me like,
2: yeah, what? Yeah,
1: yeah. And um, and so anyway, I'm really hopeful that I can speak uh, nationwide, worldwide, continue with this Um And really uh, spend the next 10 years, I'm 56. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I'd like to have a 10 year plan, have lots of money in that foundation, be something I can maybe pass to my children and they can sort of manage it and give to projects, give to things that maybe where there are holes in our our situation with insurance or otherwise, and there are many holes, um, try to work with that and support from the private sector.
0: Similar to what the V Foundation has done and how it's impacted. Yes. People internationally and and uh, domestically. Oh, so there's two four word phrases that have impacted you tremendously: "Be good to you," mm-hmm. and "It's not your fault," which you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those things are so important. You want to either finish with that or talk about your tattoos?
1: <laughs> no, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'll finish with that. I mean, it's so important to be good to you and it comes in so many broad strokes, right? I mean, it could be a book, it could be music, taking a walk, exercise, swimming, lifting weights, yoga, um, eating well. There are so many ways you can take care of yourself, a favorite movie, and we've got to spend time with that. We've got to know what those things are. So be good to you is really a lifelong commitment. And, um, I mean, just Sometimes we don't even realize what that is that we need to do. And um, the second was the second thought, what'd you say? Oh, it's not your fault, fault. yeah. Yes, yes. Emotional words to me from a mentor. Mm -hmm. First time I heard it was actually when I was long past my diagnosis and really rocking and rolling. I just come out of the national championship at Michigan State. And when I heard those words, I always thought it was my fault. I never could understand how anything like that could happen. And I must've been a part of it. I must've been part of the reason. And when I heard it's not your fault, there was just the biggest exhale and freedom in my life. Um, I'm forever grateful. And I make a point in secret warrior to highlight those words.
0: Oh, so grateful. So truly honored and humbled. Uh, Like you said, you've been on a lot of these and uh, it was just really impactful and I hope people, got a lot out of it. Um, Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed this incredibly powerful podcast that uh, really gives you insight on how to be your authentic self, even when you're messy and vulnerable because it becomes your superpower. So for Coach Val, I'm Hootie Hoot. Uh, Thanks, uh, Joanne P. McCauley, for uh, spending time with us and creating this safe space so that people can hear your uh, story, and maybe it resonates with them in a way that allows them to be the best versions of themselves.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an awesome experience.
0: All right. Thanks, Coach. We'll talk soon. I'll stay in touch. Much love and respect. Do I get a
1: copy? Do I get a copy? Oh,
0: of course. Are you kidding me?
1: I, I got to have it. I want to I see us.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we put it on YouTube and on audio platforms, so it goes on to both, but you can have your own copy, anything you need, and you can always come back and the uh, guest co host like Val I, I had her on the show and I've invited her back several times so if anything resonates with you you want to come oh, back okay you know, please do and I and I actually invited Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter
1: oh gosh yes who
0: coached you at Northwestern so I wanted to shout her out because she wasn't able to make it but she was trying to come and surprise you
1: oh I love that I love that. she's the greatest she's, she's and she amazing. made us and she made us play defense so don't forget to bring that up
0: her defense uh, absolutely project. absolutely All right, coach, much love. Continued success. You're doing amazing things. All right. Talk to you soon. Take
1: care. Bye bye.
0: All right. All right. Amazing stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Truly, truly hope that you enjoyed that. One of the most powerful podcasts that we've ever had. Uh, And, and, you know, many times in life, the wins don't come easier early on in the process, either on the court or off. But as you heard her say, she was a lot tougher in the beginning when she was a coach and she took her foot off the pedal a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot, maybe after she went to the national championship game at Michigan state. Uh, And so you can tell very clearly from Val and from coach P uh, how much more nurturing and loving, compassionate and empathetic they are as a result of navigating their way through something that wasn't, easy to say the least and how they were tough on themselves in the beginning and now they accept themselves in a whole new way if you guys want to hear the outtakes or watch the outtakes from today's show jump ahead to the one hour and 23 minute mark and 35 seconds thanks for sharing space with us today we we truly hoped you enjoyed that amazing interview remember everyone black lives matter Stop the bullying, stop the Asian hate, contact your local and state politicians for any inequalities, for any individual or any group that's being marginalized. Also, everyone, we wanna raise awareness for those individuals that are currently imprisoned for nonviolent offenses, in particular, those with long-term sentences that are disproportionate in particular to those people in the black and brown community. And I want to send a shout out to 40tons.co. 40tons is a socially conscious cannabis brand. And they're a social enterprise using the regulated cannabis industry to fight injustice, in particular for cannabis prisoners. So check them out again at 40, the number four, the number zero, tons plural 40tons.co because what they're doing in the cannabis space and being a socially conscious company is truly incredible and uh, they have my full support and also wanted to remind all of you if you're having a tough time you can always call the suicide prevention lifeline and that number is 800-273-8255 that's 800 273 8255, and they are available 24 7, 365 days. A year. You can also always check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at Mike Hootner. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors Breaking Tea, SportRX, PSK Collective, City Lokes, and Moolah Kicks, which you can see right here up on the screen. You can search them online. At breakingt.com, sportrx.com, pskcollective.com, moolahkicks.com, and citylokes.com. And if you'd like to support us at the Sports Deli, we'd love to have you either make a one-time donation or feel free to make a donation monthly—either ninety-nine cents a month, four ninety-nine a month, or nine ninety-nine a month. If you have uh, questions about that. Send me an email again to thesportsdelly at gmail.com, and I will send you the link on how you can do that. Uh, you can also find it at the bottom of every podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcast. Link at the bottom to support the show. Please check out our website at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Make sure that we continue the conversations with regards to three strikes and you're out and mandatory minimums, especially people that are in jail for nonviolent offenses. So those things need to change. Until next time, remember, it takes a village. For Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. This has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. Thank you for joining us in the sports deli where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Remember, it takes a village. Much love, everybody. Hey, everyone, we're going to leave you with some outtakes here from today's podcast, some fun stuff for you to listen to if you want some additional content here in the Sports Deli. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy, everybody. (laughs) I think I like your background better than mine. Every time I see your background, all I can think of is the thousands of videos on TikTok, and I can't wait for what's next. Oh man, I love it. She's waiting. So, you ready? Yeah. Hey coach, you're on mute or the microphone's not working. Val, can you hear her or am I just the only one that can't hear her? I
2: can't hear. Her.
0: Oh, I heard a little shuffling there. It doesn't say she's on mute. Does it show that she's on mute with you, Val, or no? No. Yeah, we'll get it figured out. See, that's why coach came on 5 minutes early. She knows from her past experiences that you you have to be ready for plan B at all times. Val, what do you think that uh, picture is? Can you hear her, Val, or am I? Can you hear oh, me? Oh, there we go. Yes, we figured it out. See, yeah. Were you listening to our conversation while you were trying to figure that out, coach?
1: No, I cannot hear you.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, well, you'll be, you'll be in for a little surprise then when we do the editing later. That'll be fun. Yeah. How are you? Good morning. Good, well, good afternoon for you.
1: Yeah, look at your background.
0: Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that because, of course, we have Sparty, over here. And then we have Coach K- and that- I can't hear you again. And she might have muted us on purpose.
2: Yeah, she was holding yeah. her lips.
0: Yeah, I know. I was trying to read. What do you think that picture is, Val? Over her right shoulder up on the top shelf.
2: Oh, I can't see. I'm just putting the microphone
0: on. Yeah, she's she's going she's going rogue on us. She's she's trying to big time us, Val. She she's trying to she's trying to show us what a real microphone is like. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you tell I who that I picture is? I
1: don't know what's going on. No, no, oh, I hear no. you now.
0: No. Sometimes you have to change the, uh, mic- the sound settings. Well, you
1: can't. I don't know if you can figure out. For some reason, we were just hearing each other. And now I can't hear. I can't hear. We can um, hear you. My, oh, there's my mute right there. And I don't know what's going on. This, can, this, doesn't, this doesn't really make a difference. So now, about, I had this problem before on my computer.
0: So we can hear. Or let's any, see if we can chat so she can't hear us.
1: Mute my audio. No, I'm muted. What happened?
0: Can you can you get it back? Can you go off and go back on? Yeah,
1: let me, oh, hold on one second. Let me leave it. Oops. Oh, Just wait, 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 oh. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. Okay, for some reason, my audio <laughs> keeps going off, so.
0: Yeah, it I must don't... be a default setting for some reason.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, this happened actually when I was on another Zoom. And I, is it going to hold out or do you have a suggestion what's happening over here?
0: Coach, um, we can do any kind of editing later. It's not even a big deal. And there must be a ghost. It. There must be a... Oh, she, we left she, her again. Um, oh, this is going to be fun, Val. There's a ghost in the house.
1: Okay, wait a minute. Default speaker.
0: God, I'm dying to know who that picture is, Val, over um, her right shoulder on that top shelf. It was a woman of color with like her fist like this. Well, let me okay, it maybe, it, maybe it's one of her... Former players. Oh, well, she moved the camera.
2: Okay.
0: She's got her Olympic gold medal and her oh. book over her left shoulder. Oh, right shoulder. I was on the wrong picture.
1: I don't know. Can't hear. Um.
0: So let's try.
1: Hearing aid. Leave. I'm gonna leave it. Leave me.
0: Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The amazing Joanne P. McCauley. We hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, until next time for Coach Vale. Oh, hold on. Take two, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, Val. We're, we're, we're scrapping the scouting report.
2: What, what
1: is going on?
0: We're, we're, scrapping, we're scrapping the scouting report, coach. Are you there? Yeah, we can hear you.
1: Okay. I, okay, I don't know what's going on. Um, hold on a second.
0: I need Jack. You know who she's calling for, Val?
2: Probably a kid.
0: Yes, that would be her son, Jack. I don't know if he's home. I don't think he's home, though. Maybe she needs him uh, via telephone because maybe she has... Do you have a... Hey,
2: guys. Can you hear us? I I can hear you. Oh, well... Oh, I can't hear you now. That was the problem. She couldn't hear us.
0: There must have been a ghost in the room and your energy made it go away. The The economist, leave it to the economist to to make the ghost go bye-bye.
1: Okay, I can hear. Can you hear me?
0: Yes.
2: Yep.
1: Okay, I can hear like, you. too. Like,
2: oh. But
1: why? I have no idea.
2: You can hear, th- I can
1: hear it. Um,
0: well, I did can Did you press
1: any buttons?
0: No. No, I'm not going to press any buttons.
1: Okay. Okay
0: that you okay me. let me
1: sit down. mike can you hear me yeah well, we can mike hear
0: you working.
1: okay it says that we being picked up on the where, where computer you, but they were upstairs uh,
0: unbelievable oh
2: you did, 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 did it work by, by bluetooth where's well your, um where's your setting if oh, they work oh, by bluetooth turn, it, okay, turn, it, turn your bluetooth turn off. your uh turn your bluetooth off.
1: okay let me see okay wait a minute let me see hold on a second hold on
2: <laughs> turn your computer bluetooth off
1: okay hold on yeah i got
0: you i knew this okay. was going to be a special podcast
1: Okay, wait a minute. My computer Bluetooth. Okay, That's hold setting. on. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, how do I do that? Wait a minute. Shoot. Oh, out
2: what here. kind of computer do you have?
1: Okay, wait a minute. John, I turn my, can you turn that off? I, there's my settings.
2: You want to minimize it? No,
1: no, I need the Bluetooth off. Okay. But I don't see it yeah, there. Oh, there it is. is. Okay, there it is.
0: Oh, this okay. is phenomenal. Ladies and okay. gentlemen, this is content you never anticipated today. I got news for you. This is just amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, how bizarre.
0: That is a first. Oh,
2: well, you get a, lot, is- you get a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, yeah, okay. we're okay. bagging the scouting report today. We're going to plan B.
1: Okay,
2: That's wait, I'm, I'm
1: sorry, going. I haven't met you. Um, what's your... Matt uh, Whiting. Uh, what, sorry?
2: My name is Val Whiting.
1: Ah, I coached against you. Did you know that? <laughs> OK, hold on a second. Hold on.
0: Yes, I love this.
1: Val, I was um, a graduate assistant at Auburn when you beat our butts in oh, Knoxville. Yeah.
2: Yes, my freshman year.
1: Yes, you were outstanding. Thank you. Val, you might have solved my problem from the last Zoom I had. Um, Okay, so <laughs> do I turn my Bluetooth back on when I'm done with this Zoom?
0: Depends on what you're going to be doing next.
1: Oh, well, just regular use. Yeah,
0: but what do you use the Bluetooth for would be the question.
1: I don't think I use it for anything.
2: Maybe her mouse. Hmm. You your have mouse.
0: If you you have a cord for the mouse. Yeah, that's a good point. If you have a wireless mouse, you use it.
1: Okay, no, I don't have a wireless mouse. I just have an old MacBook Air here.
0: Well, then it's probably a default setting that you don't need it for anything.
1: Okay, all right. Well, now that we've wasted your time. (laughs) Oh, that was not
0: a waste of time, coach, trust me.
1: Sorry, Val, sorry.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, of all the things in the world, that's going to be some great content at the end for the outtakes for the show. That is phenomenal. (laughs) Oh, coach, that's great. So how are things in Durham?
1: Uh, Things in Durham are sunny and cool. Oh. How about out west?
0: Yeah, Val, you go first. You're in the northwest. It's raining. Of course. (laughs) Yes, it is. And in San Diego, this is, honestly, besides our normal sunny weather, I've never seen blooming and animals. The pandemic did something to animals and flowers. I don't know what it was, but. I mean, I can't believe the winter that we're having. It's one one day of rain, two days of rain. That's it. It's, it's been phenomenal. Okay. Unlike, unlike Good. Val. Good. All right, Coach. I know you got to pick up somebody later and your time is, is so <laughs> valuable. And, uh, you know, Val's more of an influencer and has more name recognition than I do. And so I always wonder why people come on come on the show. And Val's been phenomenal as, as a guest host. And uh, so we're going to do a formal intro. And. Uh, this will be a powerful podcast, and yeah. I'm uh, very excited about it, and it's been much anticipated since we talked last week. Val, you okay. ready rock and roll? Yes. Now, I do want to uh, have a caveat to this. The, the intros are some, somewhat long, but we do it, uh, my original co-host and I talked about it, and we started to do it in post-editing and realized that it's more impactful, usually. Uh, Mm -hmm. if we do it with the guest on, and so that's the reason for it being somewhat lengthy, but hopefully you enjoy it. Okay. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed those outtakes, and uh, it's always fun to chop it up to start the show before we do the formal introduction. But uh, today was a lot of fun because uh, we had some funny moments, and when there's uh, technical difficulties... Uh, like with Steve Lavin or others that we've had on the show. It's always really funny. So thanks again, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.